and transformed into a full-blown empire. It's the only daily boxing talk show on the planet, hosted by the only guy with the balls to do it. Many have stepped into the ring. Many have tried to take the belt. And one by one, they've fallen. Another victim of the undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. Talking Boxing with Billy C is on now. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious, I want your heart. Coming to you live from the Billy C. Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Calagero, and it's time for the Billy C. Show. Good morning, good day, good evening, whenever you're listening or watching. I hope you're doing uh, okay today. I want to give a special shout-out to all of our viewers on Holyfield Television. Uh, we're glad to be part of Holyfield TV sports programming, and we want to hear from you. Drop us an email, Billy at Talking Boxing. That's T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G dot com. And don't forget to download our app. It's for free. Just go to Fight. That's F-I-T-E, fight.tv slash Billy C. Today's show is being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria and Italian Restaurant located on beautiful St. Simons Island in Georgia. Check out the website, www.salsneighborhoodpizzeria.com. I'll give my man a call, 912 268 Find out why I go all the way to St. Simon's to get a decent slice of pizza. And I'm going to be heading south uh, in about another week and a half. So uh, if you're heading that way, stop by Sal's and uh, have some pie with me. Uh, Today's show is also being brought to us in part by Gawk Box. What is it? Well, it can help you and it can help us. And it doesn't cost you nothing. So check that out. Visit our website, billycboxing.com, and click on the Gawk Box banner. Today's show is also being brought to us in part by the Turning Stone Resort and Casino in Verona, New York, and their next boxing event, which is going to be taking place on International Boxing Hall of Fame weekend, June 9th, Friday night. I'm going to be ringside for the fight card that will be broadcast on Showtime. You need to be, too. Get yourself some tickets by visiting our website, billycboxing.com, and clicking on uh, the Turning Stone fight poster, which is on the right-hand side. So click that. Or just go to the Turning Stone box office and uh, make sure you tell them Billy C sent you and get the Billy C discount. And finally, today's show is being brought to us in part by my book, Tom Molino from Bondage. The Baddest Man on the Planet is available right now where all good books are sold. And you can literally get a copy of it right now by visiting barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. Find out why. We got a five-star rating across the board. Um, today's show, uh, we got uh, coming up in a little bit, we got uh, Boxing Hall of Famer Larry Hazard. Uh, he'll be stopping by, and, of course, we're going to ask him uh, about uh, the fight last week, uh, uh, Errol Spence's uh, victory over Kell Brook. Uh, I got an email for him. I also got some emails to read uh, here. I, I also want to talk a little about Adonis Stevenson. I I think he's the king of duckers. I really do. I mean, people are always using that word now. Oh, this fighter ducked this one. This one ducked that one. But Adonis Stevenson, he's the king. He's the king of duckers. And uh, we'll talk about that. Also, uh, an update on uh, Tiger Woods. We'll talk about that. Um, the WBO uh, maintaining a uh, uh, <laughs> their number one heavyweight contender, even though he hasn't fought, pulled out of a fight. We'll talk about that. 
Uh, we got some sports scores. Uh, ESPN named their top uh, 100 recognizable athletes. I got some interesting uh, numbers for you there. And a bunch of other stuff uh, we'll be talking about. Oh, our blast from the past, Ike Ibuchi, as per request. So uh, all of that's coming up. But coming up right now, right now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you got to welcome the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend himself, in his own mind, that is, Sal Rocky Senecola. Good morning, Sal. Good morning, Bill. How are you today, buddy? I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right, man. Uh, how you doing? I'm doing okay. We're sweating down here. It's down south. It's 120 degrees. Forget about it. It's uh, it's warm. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was telling you uh, off uh, air um, that off the air. Uh, uh, that the the uh, weather up here was kind of chilly last night. I was in sweatshirts, man. I can't believe it. That's that's a uh, amazing it's going to be june 1st tomorrow where is this year going uh it's going uh you know where in a handbasket you know but uh uh anyway hey sal i wanted to start off the show uh adonis stevenson's fighting this weekend and uh he's taking on andres von farah and i got some quotes and stuff and obviously later in the week we'll be uh, breaking down the fights uh that will be broadcast but uh he made a comment before i get a little later in the show we'll, we'll get to uh uh, some comments uh, from uh, Stevenson and Fun Farah, but he goes like this. He says, and this is a quote from uh, from Adonis Stevenson. He says, "My goal is to unify the titles uh, by fighting the winner of Kovalev and Ward." He says, "I want the unification, but if I'm not, I'll make my. But if not, I'll make my mandatory. If Ward wins, I want to fight him. If Kovalev wins, I want to fight him. I'm ready." You know, my hang-up here is that Stevenson seems to have, uh, you know, ducked all the big fights since he won the title, Sal. And, I, you know, to me, uh, this is this is all more of his, his smokescreen. He, he's, he's full of you-know-what. I mean, if you take a look at the time he won the title, just going quickly over Chad Dawson in 2013, right. he fought mm-hmm. two decent fights after that. He fought Tavarius Cloud and Tony Bellow. Since then, and no disrespect to Andres Von Farrell, because that fight was actually controversial. A lot of people thought Von Farrell won that fight. But from that fight, after the Bellow fight, he fought Von Farrell. And literally, he's had four easy, easy defenses, all the while having the chance to uh, to fight uh, Kovalev while Kovalev was uh, at the top. And then, of course, now uh, uh, Ward beat Kovalev. So uh, what's your thoughts on this? I mean... Is it is it the boy who cried wolf situation here or what? Well, we're gonna to have to find out. And the bottom line is, you know, we we hear that the boy who cried wolf or the fluff without the stuff, however you want to dress it up, it is what it is. And uh, when he gets in the ring with some some top top contenders and uh, is able to defend his title successfully and and wants to take on all comers and does uh, look to seek out and take the winner of the Kovalev Ward fight. Uh, you know, those are things, you know, that his words are saying one thing, but his fists have to back up. And if it looks like he's doing a little dance around, wiggling around and, and finagling a little bit, uh, then we know where he stands mentally and physically. He's just not wanting to get in the ring with the best. So let's see what he does. Uh, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt this time. 
Yeah, well, I mean, uh, we've been giving him the benefit of the doubt for the, for, since 2013, really. This is a guy. It's a lot pound, of benefits. Well, I mean, he's been pound, he's, It's a lot of benefit. Hey, it's it's better than the healthcare system. But uh, I, I mean, the truth of the matter is, we'll is go. that you know, I, it, you, listen. If if anybody's new to this show, uh, the one thing that uh, they may not know, uh, they should just listen to everybody that isn't new to the show. And the, one of my biggest pet peeves. Uh, is fighters that pound on their chest and and claim they're the best and they want to do this and they want to do that and they don't. And Adonis Stevenson is one of those guys, Sal. I mean, he's been oh, I'm the best, I'm Superman, oh, I'm this, I'm that, and and really, he's been a protected fighter. I mean, rightfully so. He's 39 years old. Uh, you know, I mean, what's he waiting for? You know, I, yes, I, I get it. He's he's making prime. some money in Canada. You know, he's he's taken the Floyd Mayweather route where he picks uh, the easiest uh, fights uh, for the maximum financial return. I, I get it. I, You know, I, I guess I can't really criticize fighters to do that. However, don't pound your chest and say you're the best. I mean, Deontay Wilder does it, but the poor guy actually thinks he's the best. You know, I, I think Adonis <laughs> Stevenson knows he's not. What do you? What's your thoughts? You know, that's a great synopsis you just, you know, related to. And, uh, uh, you know, Donna Stevenson is one animal here. Not not an animal. He's just one uh, uh, category of what uh, you just described. And, and uh, you know, we have uh, definitely others out there that equally pound their chest but actually believe that they are the best. So I doubt them for that. And the bottom line is just get in a ring and let your fist do the talking. That's the bottom line. I can understand fighters that want to market themselves, that want to leverage themselves, that want to try to intimidate an opponent or try to do something. But you know what? Ultimately, guys, you got to get in there with your fists and you got to become that warrior that you profess to everybody that you are, and you've got to do it. And uh, that's where the tale of the tape, the truth of the of the fight, is, is, is the truth of the fighter is going to rely. He gets in a ring and, and lets his fists do the talking. That's that's the bottom line. I you mean, know, the rest is great with the marketing. You know, push yourself, market yourself. That's great. We understand it. I get it. I, 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 I think marketing is half the battle. But when you get in that ring, maybe not half the battle, but when you get in a ring, you've got to let your fist do the talking. And you're only as good as your last fight because that's how everyone is viewing you. So go out there and fight every fight like it's your first fight or like it's your last fight. You know, I... I'm not going to criticize him for his style of fighting because at times he oh. has shown us, you know, that, that he, he can do it all. My, my hang-up is, you know, he wins the title in 2013 against Chad Dawson. Now, I'm not going to, uh, you know, when I talk about Adonis Stevenson to people and we start, well, you know, he beat Chad Dawson. You know, people, ah, well, Chad Dawson, oh, he's all washed up. Well, you, you can't look at Chad Dawson today. you got to look at the Chad Dawson that Adonis Stevenson fought. And although... You know, he still had had, uh, you know, a, a couple of losses. In a sense, he, he was exposed already or at least declined. I don't want to use that word exposed. I, let me let me let no. me check that. I, he, his his skill set has declined. I'm talking about Chad Dawson. And then when uh, Stevenson wins the belt, he did have two, in my opinion, legitimate title defenses with Cloud and Bellew. Uh, but then since then, like I said earlier, They've been just, you know, I mean, Seiko Biko, right, uh, in 2015 when he fought him. Uh, you know, Biko was given a chance. I mean, but his awkward style and, and plus he was older. And then the, the infrequency of the fights. You know, he fought the, 
the uh, the Cloud and Bellu fight in 2013, including the Chad Dawson fight. So he fought three times in 2013, twice in 2014, twice in 2015, only once last year against Thomas Williams Jr. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, how do you how do you say you're the best? And want people to come to you. I mean, I get it. He's got the WBC belt. A lot of fighters value that one the most. But uh, but I think uh, I think he's got to be the label. He's got to be labeled quack quack the king of the ducks, man. What do you think? <laughs> I love that. I I get it. Duck duck. No quack. no no no. <laughs> um, not duck duck goose. No. Uh, you know. Let me tell you something. Like I said, he he has a chance to right the ship for himself. And by facing the best opponents he can and let his fist do his talking. Let's see him uh, continue to take on opponents and win and and uh, let's see what he does. And if he should, so be it. If he can get the winner of the uh, Ward-Kovalev fight, you know, that's a fight that we're going to have to see. And hopefully we'll see before the end of the year. And that will put his money where his mouth is and his fist will do the talking. So we'll see. I mean, like win- I said, I'll give him that I'll give him that benefit of the doubt. The winner of Kov- Kovalev Ward, two, um, yes, two yeah. will destroy uh, Stevenson, in my opinion. And, and, oh yeah, and, and I mean Funfara. Even when you look at Funfara, and again, I don't want to get into breaking that. Well, I, I don't want to get into breaking it down now because uh, no, later in the now. week we'll not we'll now. do a full breakdown of the fight. But uh, Funfara. He's no world beater. Since when did uh, and no disrespect to Andres from Farrow because he no. works hard and and right. and when I break down the fight later in the week, you'll see that he legitimately has earned, with the exception of him getting blown out by Joe Smith Jr., he legitimately had earned his first shot against Stevenson and this one. Um, but uh, but but still, and again, no disrespect to Fun Farrow, he's not a world beater. I mean, this is a guy. That um, Donna Stevenson should be fighting a, a better opponent. Now, who? I don't know. You know, I mean, uh, the light heavyweight division isn't chock full of, of top notch guys. The two top fighters are fighting each other, uh, and we'll see what happens there. So, I guess he's got one more pass. I guess we got to give him one more pass, right, Sal? I I believe so. Like I said, let's let's see his fist do his talking, and uh, the benefit of the doubt. Let's see what he could do, and uh, I'll uh, I'll look for, I'll look for the best man to win. Now, now, um, uh, do you think? And again, I don't want to jump the gun because I, you know, we gotta no. have material for later in the week, you know. But we uh, do. Uh, do you um, do you think that um, he needs to basically blow out Fun Farah in this fight? I mean, to make a statement, if it's a if it's a type of fight that. That you know he just kind of just squeaks by or or controversially wins or or something like that. Do you, do you think you know uh, that's a bad? Th- I think it's a bad thing. I mean, I, I, in my opinion, he's got to blow away Fonfara to even be uh, considered uh, you know a a real opponent for either uh, Kovalev or Ward. What do you think? <laughs> I love how you say to be a real opponent for either Kovalev or Ward. And that's exactly what he's going to be. But the bottom line is he's got to be dominant in this fight against Fanfara. He, he he can't squeak by, as you said. He can't he can't just look at uh, uh, winning the fight, uh, having some kind of controversial decision or anything like that. He's got to appear dominant. He's got to look sharp. 
and he's got to do a good job. He's got to rise to the occasion and, and show what he can do. Yeah, well, you know, um, I, I, I agree. Hey, listen, I know a lot of you guys are we, – we want to welcome uh, the Facebook Live audience. Uh, we've been experimenting uh, with simulcasting our show uh, on Facebook. And uh, I, I just want you guys to know that, unfortunately, the camera feed is different than our television camera feed and even our YouTube cameras. Uh, so if you're looking to get a more video-enhanced version of the show uh, right now, live, the best thing to do is to uh, go to our YouTube page or go to BillyCBoxing.com, and right on the front you can get the, the live feed, or you could just go to YouTube.com slash TalkinBoxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G. We got a lot of comments coming in uh, on all the platforms, but the uh, chat room that we actually respond to and discuss live on the show is the chat room at uh, BillyCBoxing.com. So uh, uh, check out that. Hey, listen, we're going to take a short break. I know no one likes commercials, but, hey, the TV networks require it. So uh, And the radio stations. I like them. I like them. I'm yeah, an you like them. junkie. You like them because you can go fill up your 50-gallon <laughs> uh, coffee mug and probably Absolutely. run to the bathroom, you know. But, uh, uh, listen, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, I have two other things I want to talk about real quick before we get Larry Hazard on. And one of them is the WBO's uh, position on their heavyweight picture. And then the other is actually uh, one of your topics, Sal. Um, your, your, your man, Tiger Woods. Uh, what happened, Tiger what happened oh, to boy. Tiger? You know, Tiger, Tiger's know. like, uh, he used to be a saber-toothed tiger. Now he's a little kitty kitty, you know, but uh, yeah, well, he's a big fat kitty kitty. Anyway, right, listen, hold that thought. Uh, we're going to take a short break, Sal. We'll uh, be back uh, in about, what do you think? Two. You got it. We'll be back hey, in two. Yeah. Billy C. We'll be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're listening and watching the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us today. And uh, don't forget about our app. You can download it for free. Right now, go to Fight. That's F-I-T-E, fight.tv, slash Billy C. And uh, watch and listen to the show on your uh, phone or any other handheld device. I'm here with uh, Sal Rocky uh, Senecola. And, uh, you know, uh, my man uh, Coach makes a good comment uh, in the chat room. He says, it's not who they fight that tells the story. It's who they duck or avoid and I, you know that's a true statement Sal. That's a good point because in fun in uh uh on Donna Stevenson's case you know he, he's he's definitely ducked the top guy I mean listen us as boxing fans we all want a unified champion we want a guy that can legitimately pound his chest in the heavyweight division of course Deontay Wilder's always pounding his chest my opinion the best heavyweight on the planet right now is Anthony Joshua and you know we need to see the fight. Now, the argument that people have all the time 
is oh well you gotta marinate it oh you gotta make more money but but you know like i've said many times sal the truth of the matter is is you make the big fights and then another big fight will 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 become available because That's the big right. fights create more big fights why do we as boxing fans have to settle for one big fight that takes four years to make i mean look what happened with Pacquiao and Mayweather. You know, we wanted that fight for more than five years. More than five. You know, people. some people wanted it for seven. You know, and then finally it happens, and you're still crying over how anticlimactic that fight was. I mean, Adonis Stevenson and, and Kovalev could have been a good fight two years ago. What do you think? Yeah, that would have been a good fight back then. And we'll we'll see. They'll probably get in the ring sometime before the end of this year. Oh, one stop. way or the other. Oh, stop. He's not going to get it. <laughs> you don't think gonna, so? No, Come on. I don't. I don't. Okay. But, uh, well, you want, we w- should do a side bet. You better have a side bet. <laughs> I, I, I'll give you a side. I, I know what a good side bet is. You're going to have to get up to go to the bathroom soon. That's what, that's what it is. <laughs> but uh, the WBO. Uh, now, if you recall, uh, the champion of the WBO, uh, and, I, and I giggle, and I giggle, uh, only because yes. it's just it's it's kind of funny. But Joseph Parker, no disrespect to Parker, he's twenty three and zero with eighteen knockouts in the heavyweight division, uh, was scheduled to fight uh, Huey, not Baby Huey, <laughs> Huey Fury. Okay, and um, Huey Fury um, apparently had an injury, and they did not tell uh, anyone until about a week before the fight, and. Uh, uh, su- subsequently, he had to pull out of the fight. Joseph Parker got another um, uh, opponent in Kajanu and made, uh, you know, uh, knocked him out. And now you would think that because Fury, um, you know, uh, had to pull out of the fight, he had an injury. Uh, and by the way, he was the WBO number one ranked uh, heavyweight contender. <laughs> uh, they just released the rankings yesterday, and he's still at number one. This is a guy that um, has not fought since uh, last year uh, in April. So, so he hasn't fought uh, in over a year, and yet the WBO still has him ranked at number one. You know, we talk about these sanctioning bodies all the time, Sal, and they are the ones that prevent unifications, and they are the ones that ruin uh, the sport because of moves like this. I mean, after a fighter is out for a year, whether it's due to injury or just plain old good old fashioned inactivity, how I don't think a sanctioning body should should maintain their ranking. I mean, the computer system doesn't, and I agree with that. What do, what's your thoughts? No, I, I agree too. I mean, you know what? We got to look at it realistically. You know, these guys, if they've been inactive for that period of time. How can they sustain that level of uh, of uh, uh, consideration to be even ranked in the top five? I mean, you got to you got to fight. I mean, I borrow my old buddy Aaron Pryor's favorite saying: "You got to fight to win." And man, that doesn't mean you sit on the sidelines and, and just let the uh, the uh, the ranking system elevate you and keep you there. You got to be out there. You got to work. You got to earn it every day. Not every day, but every couple of months at least. Well, I mean, you know, it, it goes like what we were saying. Boxing used to be pretty straightforward. It was the king of sports, and you worked your way up. I say this all the time, Sal. I'm a broken record. You start off as an amateur. You, uh, you know, have a successful no, no. field. You turn to become a pro. Uh, you work your way up. You become 
uh, a, a a prospect, prospect then a contender. You climb the ladder and you get your yeah. your title shot. I mean, boxing used to be a trade. Today, That's it's right. like a second job, you know. And and uh, you know, only the big guys uh, are making good money. And uh, you know, a lot of it, uh, uh, I believe, is is the sanctioning bodies' faults. But speaking of faults. <laughs> How about what happened to Tiger Woods? Tiger Woods the other day, and we didn't even talk Whoa. about it yesterday, but Tiger Woods got uh, arrested uh, near his uh, Florida home uh, for a DUI. Now, you know, it was early early hours in the morning. He gets arrested, and, uh, you know, I saw the mug shot, and he did not look. I, you know, if they didn't say it was Tiger Woods, at quick glance, I, I wouldn't have recognized him. Uh, you know, he's, Nor putting, would I. He's, he's putting on some weight. Uh, he didn't, from from what I understand, and you can enlighten me because I know you followed the story. Um, I thought that he refused a, a breathalyzer, uh, and then came out in the news and said that it was not due to alcohol, and he was charged with DUI. Um, but he did succumb to a, a blood test, which I, I don't know if the results are out yet. I, I think toxicology, toxicology, oh, is that the word today? Toxicology reports take uh, uh, a little while to, to get to get out. Uh, but either way, what a fall from grace Tiger Woods had, huh? I mean, being the guy that was the guy in, in golf to, to now, and I, everybody, you know, has bad luck uh, at some point or another. So, you know, I'm not so much about the DUI, but just his fall from grace. I mean, I can't recall a bigger star that has fallen harder than he has over the last couple of years. Have you? No. Oh, it, it, you know, it really is sad because, I mean, this guy was a living legend. I mean, this guy was was the all-time – this guy was considered – one of the greatest, greatest all-time golfers, still in his prime, evolving every day. I mean, he was uh, doing things that people only dream of. And, and you talk about the legends uh, 100 years from now. And then all of a sudden, it was a crash. And it was a bottom. And, you know, you you think the heart of a champion, you could dust yourself up, pick up, and, and sustain, and get back into the game. And I... You know, I'll be honest. When he first fell from grace and and first had his plateau and 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 uh, had some troubles, I thought that was part of him being humble, licking his wounds, uh, staying in a low profile, uh, and wanting to regenerate himself and come back with a with a with a surge that was going to be explosive and tremendous. And you know what? I keep thinking that maybe that's what's going to happen, but it's not, ladies and gentlemen, because I I don't think that that fighter, that golfer, that that man, that legend, is still that fuel, that fire. I don't. I think he learned how to live in his current state uh, and to not have to rise to the occasion any longer. And I don't think he's ever going to do that. I, I I've got to put that book away. And it was a shame because this guy could do things, and I respected him and, and had so much admiration as everybody did. I mean, this guy was just a living legend. He really was in his prime. Yeah. And it's 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 over. It's over. The page has to be turned. He's never going to sustain or get back on a level of any kind of world-class golf that he, he had command of. I say command because the guy can win anything. Uh, he, and it's no longer. It's true. And, and you know, I mean – uh, it's a shame. Uh, Tiger Woods uh, was uh, was a great uh, golf 
superstar. And, you know, when he started not making the cut for some of these big tournaments, uh, you know, uh, yeah, but... Uh, I mean, his first mistake was getting rid of that hot wife he had. <laughs> oh, I mean, I then, it was yeah. his choice. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then all of a sudden, uh, things. Well, I think that was his. That was that was, you know, there are things when you walk along a path, Bill, and you know he he was walking along the path destined for greatness, and he surely was, and you deviate from the path, and you you have a mistake or an error, and you can't climb back on that path right away and straighten things out, you're going to make another mistake. You're going to fall further and further and further away from the path until it's insurmountable for you to ever climb and get back on that right track. And that's that's not a bad analogy for, for 8.30 in the morning. But I think that's where he's gone. And it's a shame because, like I said, the guy was, was a class act, a world-class act. And uh, he's made one bad decision after the other, and he's been unable to get back into that world-class, world-beater golf pro that uh, was more than just an enigma. He was a reality and a legend living right in front of us. Yeah. Well, I, it. so, hopefully he can uh, he can get his you-know-what together. But uh, out his life and, and just, just live a normal life and be happy and be healthy and, and uh, realize, you know, hey. Well, yeah. he, he's a gazillionaire, so it's not money. Oh, yeah. You know, but uh, yeah. hey, listen, let me get everybody uh, caught up. We're going to be taking a break here in a second. We got Larry Hazard coming on. Uh, Sal's got to run to the toilet. Uh, but uh, here in the uh, uh, in baseball last night, uh, the Indians beat the A's 9-4. to four. The Dodgers topped the Cardinals 9-4. to four. Uh, The Yankees keep winning, uh, much to my chagrin, 8-3 uh, yeah. yeah. uh, over the Orioles. The Diamondbacks shut out the Pirates three nothing. The Blue Jays over the Reds six to four. The Mariners beat the Rockies ten to four. The Marlins over the Phillies seven to two. The Rangers beat the uh, Tampa Bay Rays. We can't call them the Devil Rays anymore. They're just the Rays now, you know, because that's really you know, yeah. Well, you what don't want to you, you don't want to rock the political correctness boat. So no, uh, political the, correctness. The, the, yeah, the, the 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 Rangers beat the the regular Rays nine to five. Uh, the Red Sox topped the White Sox in the bottle battle of the Sox. Uh, thirteen to seven. Now, Chris Sale, uh, just to get everybody, uh, he was a White Sox guy. Remember, he he cut his jersey in half because he didn't like the jersey, and he, he was a, a problem child. Well, he got uh, ended up going over to the Red Sox, and uh, with the Red Sox right now, he's six and two uh, as a starter, and he won last night. So uh, I like Chris Sale. Uh, Astros topped the Twins seven to two. The Royals shut out the Tigers one zip. The Nationals they keep winning six to three over the Giants. The Angels topped the Braves nine to three. The Padres over the Cubbies six to two, and guess what? The Mets won again, three games in yeah. a row. Three games in a row. They it took them twelve innings to squeak out the five four victory over the Brewers last night. Uh, so uh, the Mets, uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, they're getting closer to five hundred, but uh, still uh, a long way to go. Hey Sal, uh, we'll be looking uh, forward to you. We're gonna. Uh, take a break. We're scheduled to get Larry Hazard on the phone. Uh, then after that, we got uh, uh, Alex Perpali and our blast from the past, which is uh, Ike Iabucci, another request from uh, our uh, viewers. So we hope that uh, if you have a blast from the past that you want to uh, request, just drop me an email, Billy at Tuckin Boxing. That's T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G. Then we're going to get you back on, Sal, and I got some emails to All read. Right. And uh, I got some interesting top 100 worldwide recognized sports people uh i'll tell you who's on the list and 
who's not on the list. So, uh, uh, Sal, you uh, have a good uh, trip to the uh, coffee maker and, and wherever <laughs> else you're going to go. And coffee right we'll, here. We'll see you in a little bit, all right? All right, buddy. You take care. We'll see you guys later. All right. That's Sal Rocky Santacola. And the rest of us, well, we're going to take a short break. And uh, when we get back, like I said, Larry Hazard scheduled to join us. Don't go nowhere. Billy C will be right back. Have you heard? Proactive Plus is faster and better than ever. Stay tuned for a million bottle giveaway, and you'll also receive free shipping. Do you have troubled skin? Acne? Well, we have great news. With Proactive Plus, your acne can heal, and you can help prevent new breakouts from happening. Don't miss this limited time offer. Give us a call at 800-567-0214 because we're going to let a million people try Proactive Plus risk-free and get two free gifts and also receive free shipping when you call right now. You heard it. This offer won't last long. So call Proactive Plus now and you'll receive a 60-day risk-free trial of Proactive Plus, two free extras, and free shipping. Call 800-567-0214. This is our exclusive radio offer, never on TV. Get your risk-free 60-day trial of Proactive Plus with free shipping. That's right, free shipping. Don't wait. Call 800-567-0214. That's 800-567-0214. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're listening and watching the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us today. And uh, like I was saying earlier, you know, we launched... uh, uh, some uh, experimental uh, version of the show that is simulcasting right now on Facebook Live. Uh, and uh, I want to give a shout-out to uh, my man John uh, McCleary, who's uh, watching us on Facebook Live. But more importantly, his woman, Lynn, is uh, right next to him, and she's letting him watch it. So I want to thank Lynn for uh, uh, keeping uh, John uh, straight. And uh, joining us right now, I'm sure he's happy, too, about all of this, is uh, my man... Uh, Larry Hazard. What's up, Larry? Hey, good morning. How you making out today, my man? Well, I wish you would send us a little sunshine from up, upstate I, you, New York. What makes you think yeah. I got any sunshine? I'm building an arc right now. I, we're, we're not supposed to see that yellow thing in the sky till middle of next week, I hear. You know, it's like, wow. you you should see the lawn. I, I You know, I don't know. I, I think we got saber-toothed tigers moving in. This, uh, the grass is getting so high, but... uh. Anyway, I got the email f- uh, for you from last week that we didn't get a chance to. But first, let's just go right to the to the main uh, topic here. Uh, Errol Spence Jr. Uh, and Kell Brook this past weekend. Another great fight, Larry. I, I loved it. Uh, my initial thought on the fight was that I thought that Kell Brook was winning the fight. The first half of the fight, I, I actually disagreed with um, the uh, the unofficial scorer, uh, Steve Farhood, uh, you know, giving a couple of the early rounds to, to Spence. It looked like, in my opinion, that uh, Errol Spence was was uh, you know had a game plan. He was he was a ring general. He was cutting the ring off. He was you know setting things up, but he wasn't letting his hands go until after the sixth round. Then he started letting his hands go, and uh, the rest is history. I put on a great performance. 
Um, humble kid. I think he's great for the sport. What was your assessment of the fight, both sides, uh, uh, Kelbrook and Errol Spence, and, and uh, the aftermath? No, I think you're right on, you know, because uh, watching the fight, you know, I, I took a break away from the um, festivities in Atlantic City to uh, catch the fight. And uh, I, I'm sitting there and I'm like, let your hands go, man, let your hands go. Because, um, you know, he, I, I think he was having, early on, I think he was having a little trouble with uh, Kel Brook's movement, okay, but... He, he wasn't really um, firing off those shots uh, the way that I thought he should. And so I kept, you know, you know how you're cheering from um, in front of the screen. Let your hands go. Let your hands go. I, I, I thought that he didn't really wake up until somewhere around, around six or seven. You know, um, I, could see, I could see that he was using the right strategy, but he just wasn't busy enough. But when he got busy, then he started nailing them. And uh, we saw what the outcome was. You know, I, I, it's like I'm looking at the fight. I'm watching it. You know, and sometimes, uh, like everyone else, you, you get too deep in the analytical part and you're just trying to, you know, what's going on. And, and the facts are the facts. I mean, he's the guy in the ring. Uh, you know, the corner's, uh, you know, trying to execute the game plan. But what it looked like to me was that he, wanna, he, he wanted to get the distance. I, you know, and when you look at the fact that Kell Brook is who he is, I mean, it, some people try, but you can't argue the fact that the guy is a quality fighter. And I think that, you know, no disrespect to Errol Spence, but he, uh, he hadn't faced a guy of Kell Brook's caliber. And I think it took him a little longer to get his distance right and to start putting his foot on the gas pedal. He was in position. He was following him around. And uh, I, I just think it took him a little while. And, and then that jab, really, when he started working that jab, Larry, everything else fell in place. I, I think if, if you could learn one thing out of it, if, if you were able to take the uh, video of that fight and show it to a young fighter, you show them and you say, look, this is how the jab can effectively change the outcome of a fight and once he started using it everything else fell in place right well absolutely i mean uh and you're you're very right about the young fighters i mean there there's only four basic punches in boxing the jab right cross left left hook and the uppercut those are that that's that's the main menu of boxing um offense and from day one, when a young kid goes into the gymnasium, good trainers always start out emphasizing the jab. And if you, you know, do the research, and I know that you are somewhat of a historian, if you go back and look at most, if not all, of the great fighters, past and present, they all had good left jabs. Or if they were southpaws, even Marvin Hagler. He had a good right jab, you know. Everything starts with the jab. And uh, the opposite side of that, when you're from defense, when you block the jab, you normally, the, the, the offensive fighter has to start all over again to, to show you, you know, that's just a demonstration of how important that jab is. And when a young fighter developing, when he develops a good jab, that's what kept Larry Holmes uh, heavyweight champion for over seven and a half years. 
Klitschko, as boring as he was, the one thing that he did possess was that height and, and that jab right out front, that jab. He didn't have much else for most of his career, but he had that good, potent left jab. And I think that um, that, that is really Errol Spence's main weapon when he started connecting with it. You know, you saw um, what he did to Kell Brook's eye. You know, you saw how he uh, started penetrating Kell Brook's defense, and eventually he was over. Uh, he was able to uh, overtake him. So it was a good lesson, and I think it was a good learning experience for Errol Spence because the kid has a lot of promise. And I, you know, I just want to see these type of fights keep coming, keep coming because. It was very enjoyable. He showed us that he's got a solid chin. He showed us that he's got power. He showed us that he's a, a good defensive fighter. He's got good head movement, but he's aggressive, which makes him exciting, which is also good. Um, yeah. I, I think this kid is is the guy, you know, and, and of course, everybody's talking about, you know, who's going to fight next. Personally, I mean, obviously, I want the two top guys to fight, you know, Keith Thurman. But I wouldn't mind seeing him fight a Danny Garcia or even uh, uh, a Sean Porter. I think, you know, what, and I was talking about this earlier, you know, the problem with today's sport, Larry, is that, you know, they, they use that term that I believe Bob Arum uh, coined. Uh, you know, they want to marinate fights. They want, you know, to let these fights build up to a to a boil before they have the fights. And, and you know, I think that that's a mistake. I think that the fan is getting hurt by missing out on great fights. When you have the momentum that we seem to be having right now in 2017, you got to keep these big fights coming, you know. And, and, and like I said earlier, another big fight will materialize after the fight. Who's to say that the only good fight was Pacquiao Mayweather. We, we, we obviously learned that that was a, a falsehood. You know, the only good fight now in the welterweight division is Spence and, and Thurman. Wrong. You know, you, you get that fight out of the way, and somebody else is going to rise and say, oh, now I want to see him fight so-and-so, you know? And, and it makes sense, and it also could make financial sense and possibly catapult the sport. What, what do you think? Well, when you talk about letting the fight, and again, you're right on. Look how long we waited for Mayweather Pacquiao, and I still want my money back. Um, marinating a fight, uh, there's no such thing because there's, there's a constant clock that's ticking on the careers of fighters. And we never know where, where that clock is going to, going to end. Some fighters have extended careers. Some fighters' uh, careers may end right around the corner. So... While you're waiting, a fighter, could, his skills can dissipate. Some fighters' skills begin to dissipate very quickly. Could be put in a great performance today, the next time out, or six months later, a year later, he stinks the place out. So you never know where he's at. That's why fighters have to stay busy. Fight, a fighter is like a well-oiled machine. You got to keep him working. You can't let the car sit in the garage too long. Because even though it's not being driven, it erodes, it dissipates, you see. And it doesn't run as smoothly as a car that's constantly in use. Same thing with a fighter. Fighter has to stay busy. You have to keep him out before the public. And you have to put the best 
fighters together and uh, do away with this nonsense that an O is the end of a career. You know, uh, you know those fights that you mentioned that you'd like to see take place? Even if Errol Spence fought Sean Porter or one of the other kids and lost, as long as he puts in a great performance, people are still going to want to see him yep. uh, against Thurman or uh, against one of the other ones in that mix, you see? So, you know, you get the top fighters in a weight class and you begin to cross-match them, cross-match them. And as they, as they perform well, you look for that, that right dance partner. And people want to see that. This is what makes boxing great. This is why, you know, you once again, we go back to the past era. That's why we got to know and fall in love with the Haglers, the Hearns, the Leonards, the Benitezes, the Aguelios, the Priors, because we saw them over and over and over. And they would fight each other two and three times, win this time, lose uh, this time. And people still wanted to see them come back. So I think that's one of the big mistakes that are made today. Hell with this marinating crap. Put the best fighters together and let them fight as soon as possible. Oh, I, I agree 100%. 100%. And uh, the thing about leaving the car in the garage, a great analogy. Uh, and then don't forget about the mice that move into the car, too. You know, so uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but uh, as far as Kell Brook, you know, there's been a, a lot of discussion. Uh, of course, these, uh, you know, tough guys, uh, you know, criticizing the, the quit, uh, you know, him uh, saying that he couldn't continue. You know, MMA has the tap out. I was talking about this yesterday, and nobody ever complains about that. And there are people that try to say, well, the tap out's not the same. And, you know, um, I, you know, I, I don't know. I've never broke my eye socket, but it doesn't seem it doesn't sound like it's too pleasurable, you know. And, uh, I, you know, when I when I had a chance to really think about the fight, I said to myself, you know, if if this guy, Kel Brook, could have lasted that round, the 11th round, and then ran around the ring like Bugs Bunny against, uh, you know, uh, the Crusher in, in, in the cartoons for the three minutes of the 12th round and forced the fight to go to the scorecards, you never know what the outcome would have been, Larry. You know, I, I mean, to tell you the truth, I thought, like I said, I, I thought that on, the, on, on my unofficial scorecard, I had, I had Brooke winning those early rounds. So you, you never know. Plus, he's in, in front of his hometown, and, and they were cheering. I, I mean... You never know. What was your thoughts on on how the fight ended? Well, I had him. I had him winning. I had him winning the early rounds. Also, I don't think there's a big argument on that. You know, um, uh, I'm sure. I, I, I don't really read a lot of the uh, press after I've seen a fight. Uh, I had him winning the early rounds. The way he the way he went out. Look, the bravest the bravest people. Uh, in the world sometimes are people who've never gone into battle and I say that to say that he is no fool he knows that he probably could have ran he could have held he could have done a lot of things to survive the fight but the man should be given credit for, for putting in a good performance standing and fighting he reached a point where that eye was re really in serious jeopardy. He realized that he couldn't continue at that top level. 
He didn't want to run. So why not let the glass be half full instead of half empty and give him credit for his courage of fighting and not running? And he reached a point where he could no longer fight, so he gave it up. So I, I look at it that way. Instead of him stinking the fight out at the end, he decided that, hey, I cannot continue to perform at my optimum level because I'm physically unable to do so. He had no control over that. So I don't have any problem uh, with the way the fight ended, okay? Uh, I think that he, he was courageous for the time that he was in there, giving it his all, um, staying loyal and staying faithful to the sport. And so I tip my hat to him. I have no problem. I agree. And uh, well put, uh, because uh, some of these guys, you know how you know how they are. The corners are, are, are rough and tough. The fans are rough and tough. And they're not the guys uh, with their eye socket broken and uh, uh, well put. I got a uh, an email for you. Um, this one uh, was from Joel. He says, uh, hey, Larry, what are your thoughts on some boxers going to Mexico to begin their pro career because they allow you to box at a younger age? He says, I believe the age is 16 uh, versus 18 or 19 in the U.S. Do you think other countries should follow the same rules as the U.S., or do you find it something that can't be changed and will never change? He says, I also notice in some uh, countries, fighters will go there for a tune-up fight to face uh, what he terms a tomato cam and possibly risk, uh, risk serious danger because of the completely difference in the level of skill which I also think is dangerous. What's your thoughts on this? And this uh, is from Joel. Well, well I, I'm, a, I'm a strong believer in studies. Uh, I don't know uh, how many or I don't know of many fighters that have gone to Mexico and, and to start their careers at age 15. But I would be interested in seeing some type of analysis of those who have done it and the success level of those who have done it. I do believe that at age 16, we should look very seriously uh, at the mat physical maturity factor of a youngster, unless he is just so exceptional. I mean, so exceptional. Okay, that, that would take a second look. But you know, uh, boxing is a very, very dangerous sport. Uh, it's nothing to play with. And a 16-year-old who may have or have some promise as, a, as, a, as an athlete or even perhaps as a great fighter still, I think, lacks a great deal of physical maturity. Uh, important muscular development that's necessary to be successful in combat sports or in contact sports of this nature. So it's a dangerous situation. I'm satisfied with the way that it is. Um, 18, I believe, uh, is a, well, that's the age of consent now. 18, I think, that a young man has reached a certain level of development that would allow him to uh, participate against older uh, guys who are much more mature uh, if he has the skill level. 
So I'm I'm not I'm not a big uh, proponent of youngsters um, getting involved at that level at such an uh, early age. Uh, so I I would be against it just from my basic knowledge and background of physiology. I I would definitely be against that, and I have no problem with the way it is right now. I agree. I agree. Hey, jumping back to the uh, I forgot to ask you. Jumping back to the uh, Spence uh, Kell Brook fight. I thought the referee did a good job of letting them yeah. fight. Um, you know, uh, the wrong guy in there could have could have really because uh, we saw a lot of good body work from both fighters in that uh, matchup. And uh, you know, some of these referees just you know, as soon as a fighter is getting close, they they jump in between them and break them up. And and you know, we would have lost that whole aspect of of the you know the the strategy. Especially both fighters had a strategy of trying to work the body. Uh, what was your thoughts on the ref uh, in the? Uh, uh, Spence Brook fight. Well, you know, you know that's that's my specialty, and I'm always looking at uh, the left eyes watching the fight, the right eyes watching the referee. And you're absolutely right. Foster did an excellent job in the fight, and like you said, uh, a lot of referees would be jumping in because a lot of referees think that people come to see them, and so what they do in a fight of this at this level, a good fight that didn't require a whole lot of um, referee intervention. He used good voice commands, told him, punch out, let him go, let him, you understand, kept moving. And the fight, the flow of the fight kept going. But some of these movie star referees, they feel that they're not getting enough, um, you know, camera time, so they jump in at every instance they can so they could be seen, and in doing so, they spoil a good fight. But I thought that Foster did an excellent job. He stayed at the periphery. He kept moving left to right, in and out, the way a good referee is supposed to do. So I would give him an A-plus for the job that he did in that fight. Yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, he wasn't trying to he, – he didn't come up with any kind of coin for – you must obey. You know, your favorite one, what I say, you must obey. He didn't say any of that. And, and he certainly didn't try to get, take any of the camera time. Uh, you know, some of these guys, it is so obvious to me. The the, the cat from New York, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, what, what's the guy that makes all the faces and stuff? Um, well, uh, um, Steve Willis. Willis, Steve Willis. He, he's, uh, he, he's too... Uh, you know, they're talking about him. The commentators were talking about him like the fans want him in there. Like, he's part well, of the fight. I, I couldn't believe it the last time he was doing yeah. that. I'm listening to the Showtime commentators. Lampley. Yeah, Lampley. And, and, and they're talking about that, and I'm saying to myself, what the F? You know, I mean, what are they saying? Why? You know, I don't know any, even marginal, you know, part-time uh, guys that watch boxing every once in a while. Not one person that I know gives a rat's ass about the referee you know i mean they they'll criticize him if they don't do the right job but the best referee is the guy you can't remember who did it because yeah, that right. means he did a great job in my opinion you know i i know you feel the same way and you're you're strict with your referees in jersey right you're absolutely man you're taking the words right out of my mouth now you're talking about the, the referee in new york i don't see i don't have a problem with his skill level, he breaks clenches. He does, you know. I'm not, I'm not going to go there. But this is one very, very important factor that shows you um, what these, how much these commentators know about 
uh, really about what it's all about. First off, the fans don't come to see the referee. Let's start with that. Number two, the problem that I have with Willis, these grimaces and all of these machinations that he makes when these guys throw a punch, when they land a punch, can very well have an effect on the judges while they're sitting there watching that. There's a, there's a subconsciousness that's at work, and I would, I'm telling you that could have a very, very detrimental effect on the psyche of the judges when they see the referee grimacing and making all of these, uh, you know, facial expressions when a fighter's throwing a punch and the fighter may not even be, you know, landing effectively or whatever. I don't, I don't know what's causing it, but I do. A referee is supposed to be as neutral as possible. He has to show no emotion. He has to stay out of the way, and he has to understand that the fans come to see the fighters. Now, that a guy listening, all of this stuff that's going on, when a referee goes home now and he watches the replay and he's hearing all of this fabulous stuff being said about him by Jim Lampley, that now sends a signal to his brain the next time he's in there, i got to please Jim Lampley now. I want to hear all these good things when I go and review this fight. That's the subconscious that's going to kick in, and it's not good for the sport. I, I tell you, I, I agree with you 100%. I mean, I, I'm watching uh, Willis the, the last time he's out, and he's actually, like, doing kind of a dance in there. I'm like, what, what's he trying to audition for, for uh, you know, the dance show? You know, I mean, come on. It was, I, 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 you know, and then the worst part about it is when you start seeing it, you start focusing on it, you know? I mean, the, worst, the worst thing Teddy Atlas ever did during a live broadcast uh, was he starts mentioning to, uh, oh, the fighter keeps looking at his toe. Next thing you know, I- I'm looking at the fighter's toe. I'm like, God, that's why I listen to it without sound anymore. You know, they they make an impact. And, and when they start saying, oh, this referee is a great referee, you know, I, you know personally, and, oh. I, and I know I'm not going to ask you your opinion, uh, but there's several referees that I think are terrible. And, and you know, uh, Steve Smoger is one of them. Uh, and, you know, these are guys that, uh, you know, get all of the accolades from the announcers, you know, and then people talk, oh, that's a great, that, that's a, Joe Cortez, oh, he was a great uh, referee. And I'm like, what, because he was fair and firm? I, I mean, you know, when I saw him holding the mic from from Buffer just to get his phrase in, and, and Buffer's like trying to yank it away from him, I, I just, that's sad. That's sad that these guys are, really think that people care, you know? And then, like you said, when the announcer says it, and you know damn well that every single one of those referees go home to watch themselves on TV. You you hit that on the head. You know that. And, uh, you know, they, they oh, yeah, I got to please them. I, I want them to say nice things about me, you know. So you're right, man. It's it's nerve-wracking. It takes away from the from the whole uh, whole fight. But, uh, hey, everything, we're running out of time. Everything go good with your uh, uh, induction in Atlantic City Boxing Hall of Fame? Hey, um, Bill, Billy. Yes, sir. This was one of the greatest weekends that I've ever had in my boxing life, second only perhaps or equal to, on a smaller scale, my international induction in Canastota. This was the ultimate family reunion uh, in my boxing 
of Korea. You know, all of the people who were there in the beginning. You know, I did. I was involved in the very first uh, fight in Atlantic City at the Steel Pier Resort International. It was promoted by Frank Gelb. They were all there. Frank Gelb, Don Elbaum, Russell Peltz, Ken Condon, uh, the Duva family was there to represent Lou. I mean, Michael Spinks, Kwawi was there. It was one hell of a weekend. And the reason I enjoyed myself so well is because my wife and my family had such a wonderful time. And my wife, very rarely, man, she stays in the background. You know, she 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 married into this. My kids were born into this. So, you know, it takes a lot for them to get excited. But my wife had a very, very wonderful time, and so it was just a perfect weekend for me. And I just hope that it can just keep going with the momentum. But it was great, man. It was really great. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And once again, congratulations, Larry. Uh, uh, you mean a lot to the sport of boxing. There's no question about that. And uh, we'll look forward to you next week to talk about uh, Stevenson and his fight this week. And uh, uh, there's one of those fights that should have taken place a long time ago. And uh, yeah. well, we'll be we'll yeah. be we'll be chatting about that and that performance. Uh, next week, but then we got uh, some. We got the rematch uh, coming up, uh, uh, Kovalev Ward. So uh, yep. we got some good stuff still on the horizon. So things are still going good, my man. Yep, let's keep it going. All right, brother. I'll talk to you next week. Okay, Billy. Take care. That's uh, Larry Hazard, boxing hall of famer. Uh, many boxing hall of fames now. Uh, New Jersey uh, State Athletic Commissioner, and uh, knows what he's doing, huh? Hey, listen, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're scheduled to have our blast from the past. This week, it's heavyweight, former heavyweight uh, top contender, Ike Ibuchi. And Alex Papali will be here in a few minutes to tell us all about the Prez. We'll be back uh, in about two minutes. Billy C will be right back. Part of the Billy C Boxing Network. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're listening and watching the Billy C Show. Glad uh, you could be with us today. And we're glad we, with you today. Hey, I want to give a special shout out uh, to everyone watching on uh, Holyfield Television. Yeah, we're proud to be part of the uh, Holyfield Television Network. And uh, we want to hear from you. So drop us an email, Billy at Talking Boxing. That's T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G. Dot com. And we also want to thank uh, our experimental this week on uh, Facebook Live. I uh, would love to hear from you guys. Uh, do you want us to continue? You know, we're simulcasting uh, on Facebook Live. Now, just so you guys know, the people that are watching on Facebook, the camera feed that you're getting is not the TV feed or even our YouTube uh, channel feed. It's uh, a separate camera. If you're looking to get a more video-enhanced uh, uh, viewer experience, 
where you can see the other people that are on this show and, and all that other stuff, you got to go to uh, at least a YouTube channel or check your television listings uh, and look for our show. We are on several networks now, and uh, we're glad uh, to be part of that. Anyway, coming up right now, uh, it's being brought to us by uh, the Title Bout Championship Computer Game and KOFantasyBoxing.com is one of our uh, listeners and viewers' favorite segments. It's been uh, part of our show. We're in our 14th year, and this segment has been part of our show for at least 12 of those 14 years. It's called The Blast from the Past. This week's Blast from the Past, uh, p- upon request, former top heavyweight contender uh, Ike Iabucci. And joining me right now to tell us all about the Prez is my man, Alex Perpali. What's up, Alex? Good morning, Steve. How are you? Oh, not too bad, my man. Not too bad. Uh, Ike Ibuchi. You know, when I uh, emailed you and, and said, yeah, we got another request. This one's about Ike Ibuchi. I actually saw the pleasure in the email that you were looking forward to. Uh, you said, oh, this guy's got a lot of fun stuff to talk about. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, the, with your kind of warped uh, sense of humor yeah he does have a lot of fun stuff to talk about if we're looking for uh you know kind of not so good things you know so uh aside from the fact that he doesn't have a uh a obituary yet which you really love uh uh he does have some other stuff that's pretty interesting right <laughs> yes guilty as charged i do i i do enjoy the bizarre ones uh our sport has um i think the the more um startling uh when it comes to bizarre uh nothing compares to boxing and yeah i Bayabuchi's story and i think of course what makes it noteworthy was how good he was before uh we learned of all the incredibly crazy stuff uh and really unfortunate criminal behavior uh but yeah that's the other appeal for me is i've always liked heavyweights quite a bit and he was um really one of uh um, a more sensational heavyweight that uh, looked like, um, you know, he had uh, tremendous potential. Yeah, you know, I, I tell you, one of the guys, and I'll admit, what are you, slamming down a beer? What, what are you doing? It's, it's, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. I, you know, what, what are you? You already drinking? Come on! Even I don't have a listen. There's there's not even coffee in this coffee mug. I, if if it was my way, I'd be throwing down some scotches right now. Come on, man! Come on! <laughs> but uh, one of the guys that actually uh, turned me on to to Ike Ibuchi was Max Kellerman. Max Kellerman was uh, really high on Ike Ibuchi when he uh, when he came out, and you know everybody always says, and and of course you know I. I think the biggest fight that he had was in 1997 against David Tua, um, and then of course his last fight against Chris Bird. But when you when you look at the rest of his resume, was he as good as we really thought? Yeah, I mean, uh, um, the fight with Tua was tremendous, and um, the uh, the the win over Chris Bird uh, gave him um, you know uh, an incredible amount of. Um, uh, just uh, le- legitimacy at, at, at heavyweight because Chris Berg was one of the top guys at that time and he stopped him. Uh, but you're right. I mean, when you look at the rest of his uh, uh, record, there's not uh, many names uh, at all. Uh, but that David Tua fight was absolutely sensational. It was one of the best heavyweight fights of the 90s. Um, he actually set a record for, uh, for heavyweights for punches thrown which um, that, I think, that probably appealed to me more than anything else. 
you know, myself as as being interested in his career was um, I love uh, a busy offensive fighter, and uh, that's really what he was. Uh, Ibeabuchi versus Tua was just a tremendous, you know, uh, boxer puncher versus slugger um, fight. So you you had that great matchup, you know, where you have Ibeabuchi, the taller guy. Um, you know, fending off the smaller slugging guy, um, and that th- those always make for really, really tremendous, uh, exciting matchups, especially in the heavyweight division. And and some people do say that David Tua, in a way, was never the same after that Ibeabuchi fight. He wasn't. I mean, the, the truth is, he really wasn't. You know, and uh, uh, the only thing that they credit. Uh, uh, Tua, to, you know, especially after that, was that he hadn't been stopped, and even that um, was uh, no more after a while. But he was born in Nigeria. Tell us about uh, the early days of uh, Ike Iabuchi. Um, one thing that was I was a little disappointed in this is uh, there's a few. Um, he was uh, in the era where boxing was just starting to get covered uh, extensively by the web, uh, and there was the website uh, House of Boxing. Um, and um, the beginnings of Max Boxing at the time, I, w- I used the Wayback Machine uh, website, which uh, usually is pretty good, but uh, for some reason I just couldn't get into those House of Boxing articles, which I was really disappointed. Um, one place that actually is one of the better sources for this guy is Wikipedia. That's not always the case, of course, but Wikipedia actually has a really good write-up on him uh, that covers most of everything. Uh, yeah, his name was actually, uh, and I'm sorry for the pronunciation, but Ikemafula Charles Ibeabuchi. Uh, so, you know, us uh, gringo Americans uh, find Ike a lot easier. Um, his nickname was the president because he did have this sort of, uh, you know, um, chief executive quality to him. He showed up when he wants to weigh-ins, and he, you know, made a lot of his own decisions and things like that. Um, was that so, the reason? I thought I, it was. I, I thought it was because uh, Ike. <laughs> I like Ike. You oh know? yeah. <laughs> Maybe you know? that was part of it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. <laughs> but he got into the sport. I guess he was he was on track to uh, be a soldier to join the uh, Nigerian military. He was born over in. Uh, Isuchi, uh, Nigeria, and he was planning to be a soldier. He was born in um, February uh, 2nd of 1973, um, six foot two, uh, if I didn't say his height, uh, and he usually fought around 230, 240. Um, so this is a big, strong guy. Um, but he was on track to be uh, in the Nigerian military when he saw a fight uh, between two guys named uh, James Buster Douglas and Iron Mike Tyson. And you know how that one went down. And uh, he was inspired by um, Buster Douglas' performance and uh, decided to become a boxer. And, uh, you know, had some pretty quick success as an amateur and eventually came to the U.S. Uh, and started training. Um, he came to Dallas, Texas, and he started training under uh, Curtis Cokes who uh, was a fighter and uh, then a trainer. And ironically, um, there was this connection uh, that Cokes had between, you know, fighters who were eventually charged with sexual assault. Uh, Cokes was also the trainer for uh, Tony Ayala, who was another um, famous, uh, you know, convicted for rape. 
Yeah, he got he did his time, came back, and <clears throat> went back. Did it you, know, again. Yeah. you know, but uh, you know, I when 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 I learned about uh, Ike Ibuchi, and and by the way, I, I still haven't accepted the. <clears throat> Mike Tyson lost the Buster Douglas fight, uh, being such a huge Tyson fan, so please stop rubbing salt in the wounds. But um, Ike Ibuchi, just to, to think about him for a second. Here's a kid, and, and, and really we should have looked, uh, we, you know, I mean, people should have looked into his psyche uh, with, with that story, his youth story, because I don't know many people, and and uh, first of all, I want to apologize to all uh, Nigerians out there because I'm not familiar with with life in Nigeria. But from what I understand, uh, you know, joining the Nigerian military doesn't sound too uh, exciting to me. It sounds like it could be like uh, you know uh, going to Siberia or being uh, sentenced to the Russian front, you know, in World War Two, you know, but. Um, you know, to, to be looking forward to being part of the Nigerian military and then choosing a sport like boxing because it seemed much better. You know, uh, I don't know, Alex. I'm a little uh, I'm a little torn with that. What do you think? Well, I think that's the thing about that. The interesting thing about this guy is that Ibeabuchi does bring the um, bring that sort of light to the fact that. Uh, something Larry Holmes always jokes about. And I remember um, a couple of years ago when Turning Stone Casino had that uh, little get together between Holmes and Tyson a few nights before the uh, uh, Hall of Fame induction weekend, uh, there was a moment where they start brought up the issue of concussions. And um, you know what boxing, the, the effect boxing has on the brain and, and your personality. And uh, Larry Holmes said, I was crazy before I started fighting. <laughs> Um, you know, you could certainly make that argument about some of the stuff about Ibeabuchi. Granted, you're right. There, there are um, very likely uh, some lots of cultural differences between an American and a Nigerian. Um, however, some of the stuff was just plain weird. Both Ike and his mother um, claim to see and hear demons. Um, there were there was an incident actually some of these things actually happened after the Tua fight uh, and I guess maybe today that could make you wonder about um, you know CTE and stuff like that and erratic behavior but uh, one of the things he did that this was pretty bad was he kidnapped uh, his son of uh, an estranged girlfriend and drove him from Dallas to Austin. He wanted to teach the kid a lesson. And I guess uh, the, the trip ended when he drove into an, a bridge abutment uh, that was, you know, it was supposedly a, a, a suicide attempt. The kid was injured. Um, he served, I guess, 120 days for that. And then there had been other incidents before the one in July, uh, July 22nd of 99, that, you know, was the one that sent him to prison where... Alex, when, he, when, when was the, uh, when was the, the um, son one? I, it's actually, it's the first time I'm hearing of that. Did, uh, when was that? What year was that? That was uh, right after the Tua fight. And if you look in on BoxRec, there's a little bit of a gap there. He fought Tua in June of 97, and then he doesn't fight again For until July of 98. So in between that, um, evidently, he um, 
had the little uh, kidnapping jaunt and then the 120 days in jail. And then got back. The, so the Tim Ray, Ray fight, in a sense, was a comeback. Well, let me ask you this. Did he have any other uh, history of, of <clears throat> we'll just use the term, mental instability prior uh, in his life, uh, you know, prior to him, uh, you know, aside from speaking with demons and stuff with his mom around that, you know, having dinner, uh, hey, you know, let's talk to a couple of demons. But, uh, um, I, you know, did he have any more? Uh, you know, why wasn't, you know, now I'm just getting ahead of myself here, but I'm, I wonder why they didn't do uh, any kind of extensive, uh, uh, you know, examinations on him, head scans, etc. Well, you know, that's where I think it does get complicated because when he eventually got to prison, I mean, not to prison, but into the legal system after, uh, if I, we should just point out the crime or the accusation, what it was, well, now I guess we could call it a crime. He served time for it. He pled uh, guilty uh, using, actually, maybe that's not the right word. He pled out on the Alford plea, which evidently is a legal uh recourse uh, for a defendant where you're admit you're not admitting guilt but you are admitting that they have enough evidence to convict you now I wonder if for his case the um, the sort of caveat to that was because he had a mental illness issue because re if you remember and this is the part that I was looking for that I, I remember reading articles about it at the time and I just couldn't find them uh, and I wonder if maybe it's just something with that Wayback Machine or whatever, the House of Boxing, because I, I can remember them having problems. He he didn't stand trial for a long time. It was about two years that he was in the system before he eventually pled on that uh, Alfred plea. And part of it was that he seemed too nuts to uh, stand trial, that he didn't understand what was going on. Uh, there was a point where Bob Arum, had actually bought in this was an article from December of I believe of 99 so he's been in the system at this point about six months and um, I'm sorry he uh, what's it called um, uh, Bob Arum was uh, thinking about he had pledged between 150,000 175,000 toward Ibeabuchi's defense and he met with him on December 6th and uh, this is some of the quotes. This is from a Tim Graham article uh, for e from ESPN. I'm having second thoughts about it, Aaron told the Las Vegas Sun. His attitude is sort of bizarre. The kind of money he says he wants to fight is so far out of line that it's completely unrealistic. On top of that, he wants a bonus. And he didn't seem to care what may happen if he doesn't beat this criminal case. I told him all things I could do for him, but he didn't seem to grasp any of it. The way I look at it now, I'm going to, I'm not going to put good money after bad. I think I'll cut my losses. And of course, then he did go to prison uh, and got out in 2016. But even, uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, in 2014, and then was remanded into the custody of ICE. Uh, and evidently they must have decided that they could release him and perhaps it was in order to give him a chance to work we saw this happen recently with Raimondo Beltran uh, that one of those conditions that uh, they you know sort of allow your citizenship to sort of be on hold and if you can prove that you are being productive working here um, now maybe that was one of the stipulations that allowed him to return um, 
to the to to you know working in 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 America. However, in uh, 2016, he was he violated his probation and um, went back to the clink. So evidently, I think that is where he is now. Uh, violating his probation, his was, you know, a sex crime. So it could be something like uh, maybe going to a strip club. I, I don't know what the violation was, was, but there was no charge. So, I mean, maybe it was speeding. You don't know uh, what the conditions of his probation were, but usually it has to do with the original offense. Well, what, what, what I heard, first of all, so everybody understands, because we, we kind of jumped a little bit. Yeah, I'm sorry. which I didn't know. I didn't know, but he was arrested and served 120 days for the charge of kidnapping his son. Which you know, you you mentioned, Alex. You mentioned that you know it ended when he smashed into uh, uh, a bridge uh, abutment. Uh, then he ended up getting into more trouble, where he was a, a, a arrested in 1999 on a sexual assault and battery charge, which was right after the Chris Bird fight. And um, that's when he was in jail and all of the stuff that you referred to uh, uh, the Alford plea, plea uh, in uh, 2001. He did stay behind bars uh, up until uh, April of 2016. Uh, and then the, the terms of his uh, uh, probation was lifetime probation, which which I find amazing that you know they let him out but but yet they put him on lifetime probation which is you know i mean basically you're under the gun for the rest of your life um on a sexual uh, and battery charge which uh, uh is uh, pretty uh I, I don't know obviously there's other things involved that aren't being made public but what i heard that uh violating the uh uh, uh probation was that he refused to begin or he did not check into a treatment plan that he was supposed to have done uh, in Arizona. And that was violation. But I did not ever hear if he did, in fact, get thrown back in jail, because from what I uh, understood was that he was supposed to be uh, getting back into the ring uh, in 2016. He was actually scheduled, Alex, and uh, then he's basically fallen off the, the radar again. So I, that's where I lost the, the trail. Yeah, there was some talk for a while that he was going to fight on, um, I think, the Pacquiao-Bradley exactly. uh, undercard. undercard. Ex exactly. exactly. Um, and uh, possibly against Andy Ruiz. Um but yeah, if you the last interview with him, he does seem kind of delusional uh, about his own career. That's not too surprising. A lot of fighters are. I mean, listen to Shannon Briggs. Um, but uh, <laughs> he, he wants to just yeah, like step into a fight with Vlad Klitschko after 17 years of being outside of the ring. He it's almost as if he thinks it's 1999. Um, but uh, the um, yeah, I mean the the. the what he did with the call girl evidently was he arranged for her to come to his room to, she claims, to strip. Then he tried to force himself on her. Evidently, it was attempted sexual assault. Battery was the main charge. He got two to 10 years for that, and then uh, three to 20 for attempted sexual assault. The judge deemed that he served them consecutively, but evidently there's no doubt about it. Uh, he seemed like a dangerous guy. When they tried to come and arrest him, he had barricaded himself in the bathroom and they only subdued him by spraying pepper spray under the door and it eventually forced him to come out. 
this was at the Mirage Hotel. That was the incident that he was arrested at. But evidently, it came out um, in the uh, you know the discovery period that there had been an earlier complaint for almost the same situation with a call girl, um, you know, uh, being cornered in the room and him demanding uh, sex uh, once at the Treasure uh, Treasure Island Hotel. So uh, it had happened before, uh, like six to eight months earlier. Uh, and then there was an incident, too, where he actually wielded a knife. Um, and sort of what he, the quote is, they knew it, they knew it, the belts belong to me. He stabbed into the table, I guess, at a meeting with Cedric Kushner, um, who I think has passed away now. Um, but it was just very strange. It was at like a HBO dinner. Um, you know, discussing a possible fight deal. Not, you know, really the way to impress uh, people that are about to pay you a big lucrative contract. Uh, I, like you said, it's interesting stories with uh, uh, Iabuchi. It, it, it sounds like we could continue going on and on, but unfortunately we were running out of business, uh, running out of time. Um, I, uh, the one thing I, 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 I can't help but look, you know, Ike Iabuchi to me always seemed like such a big, Guy, and when you look at the statistics, six foot two with a seventy-six inch uh, reach, you know, honestly, Alex, I, by today's standards, he's a small heavyweight. You know, I mean, uh, not I wouldn't say go that far, but you know, when you're fighting guys like Joshua and Klitschko, six foot six and seven, and you know, Tyson Fury, six foot nine. I mean, um, you know, when he was uh, fighting a guy like Tua, and he made Tua look like a small guy. Now he's the small guy, so the the probability of him mounting a a, a successful comeback is uh, next to to nil. How did he make out in uh, the title bout championship computer game? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the idea of him making a comeback is ridiculous. Even if you think about it, compared to Foreman, Foreman's break um, was much shorter. I think it was only ten years. This is uh, you know uh, the person to ask uh, is Sal Rocky Senecola because. Um, it's a it's a uh, comparable, um, although it's shorter uh, of his layoff. Abayabuchi um, was 17 years out of the ring. Sal was what 25. So, um, in the champion title bout championship boxing game, he he actually does pretty well. Uh, and this is interesting because you're right. He was he was about as big as they make him back then for the 90s. But you're right, he's not. Now, uh, so the first one I put him in against was Anthony Joshua. The first time they fight, Anthony Joshua scores a knockout, stops him at two minutes and 33 of the eighth round. When they fight a hundred times, uh, Ibeabuchi does get the better of him. 58 victories, 39 defeats, three draws, 48 stop uh, wins by KO. Of those 39 victories, Anthony Joshua scored 17 KOs. Um, I kind of dis- I really disagree with that, quite frankly, because of the two of them, uh, I think even though they had similar records, Ibeabuchi ended with 20 and 0, 15 KOs. Joshua uh, is what 19 and 0 and 19 KOs. We've he's proven so much more in those 19 fights than uh, than Ibeabuchi did against uh, Deontay Wilder. The first time they fight, Ibeabuchi wins a unanimous decision, three scores of 116 to 111. He put Wilder down in the 11th. When they fight 100 times, Ibeabuchi dominates. 68 victories, 30 defeats, and two draws, 57 wins by knockout. Of his 30 victories, Deontay Wilder was able to score 25 KOs. 
against the other uh, top heavyweight of today, Luis Ortiz. Um, Ibeabuchi wins a weird and lopsided unanimous decision. The scores were uh, 113 to 112, 117 to 108, and 115 to 1 in favor, uh, 110, all in favor of Ike. Uh, there was a blatant headbutt in the first round from Ortiz that would, was ruled intentional. He Ortiz lost a point. Uh, Ibea Bucci bled for mo- much of the fight. Um, Ortiz was down in the seventh, and Ike was down in the twelfth. Uh, however, when they fight a hundred times, Ibea Bucci dominates again. 63 victories, 28 defeats, 9 draws. 26 big, big wins by knockout. Of those 28 victories, Luis Ortiz scored 18 KOs. And finally, I put him in against Vladimir Klitschko because that was the guy who was the top top of the game went from his era, and we know that he's still around. Uh, when they fight the first time, Klitschko wins unanimous decision. 118-107, to 117-108, and 116-109. Uh, Vlad put Ike down twice in the 10th and again in the 12th when they fight 100 times. Vlad Klitschko does get the better of him. Ibebuchi wins only 26 wins, 74 defeats, no draws. He scores 21 knockouts. Uh, Vlad was able to knock him out 50 times. Interesting that uh, that they have him uh, so indestructible uh, in the title bout, but... Uh... Great job as usual, Alex, and uh, uh, unfortunately we don't have uh, any more time here, but I w- did want to get your thoughts on the uh, Errol Spence-Kel um, Brook fight. So I, I'm sure you'll be able to give us a call later in the week, right, because we are going to be breaking down the Stevenson uh, and uh, Fonfara fight uh, beginning tomorrow and, and of course, finishing uh, later in the week on Friday. So uh, if you got some time, Give us a call and, and leave the beers. You know, don't don't be drinking the beers again. Yeah? No beers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, I'll give you a call on Friday. That would be great. All right, my man. Take care. All right, Billy, take care. That's uh, Alex Perpali uh, doing a great job with our blast from the past, as usual, because he always does. And uh, you can catch more uh, of Alex uh, on Friday. Listen, I'm going to take a short break. When I come back, Sal Rocky Senecola will be back. I got an email uh, to read. We got some uh, other news to talk about. All of that is coming up in about two minutes. Billy C will be right back. Part of the Billy C Boxing Network.
Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. And uh, we want to welcome the uh, Facebook Live audience. We're experimenting with uh, simulcasting on Facebook. Don't forget, you can get uh, the full video uh, the same version of the show that we put out on the television networks uh, on our YouTube channel. And so if you just go to uh, youtube.com slash talking, T-A-L-K-I-N, boxing, B-O-X-I-N-G, uh, you will uh, see uh, a lot more than what you're seeing uh, on Facebook right now. But uh, we hope to change all of that. And speaking of changing, uh, I'm going to be down in St. Simons. I want to give a plug for uh, the Sea Palms Resort. Uh, the week of uh, June 12th, I'm going to be there. Sal and I are uh, filming uh, uh, a couple of pilots. That's all I can tell you because we've got a lot of really, really good stuff in the works uh, for this show and beyond. Uh, all coming up, and it's going to be rapid fire. And uh, we're doing that, and we'd like you, if you've got some time, come on down to St. Simon's uh, during that week. Uh, Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria is a great place for us to hang out. Uh, eat some great food and uh, get to meet Sal and uh, all the great uh, waiters and waitresses that uh, Sal has uh, at his restaurant. But the best part is the food and the bathroom. So, you know, really save up, uh, you know what, and, and use his bathroom. Joining us right now uh, is my man, uh, Sal Rocky Cynical. I say that because you know how when people are traveling. What, what, what's, what's with the bathroom? I mean, hey. You know, when people it's travel, it's bathroom. always like, hey, can't, I, can't we just find a decent bathroom? I got to go. I got to go to the bathroom. Oh, yeah, go to Sal's, man. Go to Sal's, you know. But, uh, people on the street from you doing that saying, hey, I hear you got a good bathroom, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Walk this way. Yeah. <laughs> walk walk, uh, walk this way. What, like this? No. Hey, I'm seeing this this kind of bright thing out there. What What is that? I haven't seen nothing of that in a while. But uh, anyway. Yeah, I know you got it, but we got an email to read. This is from my man Jesse, Sal. He says, uh, uh, hey, Billy C., uh, good win for uh, Errol Spence Jr., but he did get hit hard with some shots and credit to his chin, but I don't think he's ready for Keith Thurman next. Uh, much rather see him against Jose Benavidez Jr., uh, Vargas, Granados, Broner, or Peterson, but I don't think he's ready for Thurman, uh, Garcia, or Porter. He must throw more uh, punches uh, per round. Uh, about 80 per round, and Brooke almost pulled a Chavez by being a punching bag. He would land uh, uh, Spence, but then back out. He, he's saying Spence would land, but then back out. He must also throw more punches. Kel Brook uh, probably should retire. Um, normally, I agree with Jesse Sal, but uh, I disagree with him 100%. First and foremost, in my opinion, and you know, uh, this is the problem with the sport today, Sal. My opinion. And I, and I think you share it. Once you become I a champion, do. there's no more uh, let's step him up, let's get him fight this guy. The time to step up and get better and, and climb the ladder, so to speak, is before you win the belt. Now he's got a belt. Now he's got to go after the top guys in the division, the Danny Garcia's, the Sean Porter's, and, of course, Keith Thurman. What's your thoughts, Sal, Rocky, Santa Cola? Yes, I disagree with the email, and I'll tell you why. 
Let's say he's going to face Keith Thurman. All right, guess what? He goes into camp. He knows what he has to do. First of all, it's not going to happen within six months, four months, six months. Who knows? And the bottom line is he's got plenty of time to work on things and take any deficit he may have make it and negate it and make it a positive. And he can do those things. And you're a world-class fighter. You go to camp and you work on these things. You work on your conditioning. You work on your punch output. You work on, on uh, your defense. And you work on styles that are going to mimic – uh, the Keith Thurman or whatever opponent you're going to fight his style and you rise to the occasion that's why you're a world champion you could change you could become a chameleon you could do what you got to do your style is your style your core style but you're able to have the innate ability to overcome and adopt and, and challenge yourself to uh, take on any other style that there is that's my thought yeah no I normally I agree with a lot of stuff with Jesse but yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's it, here. It wasn't it was totally off balance. It wasn't it wasn't out the out of the ballpark. But no, he he's a champion. And guess what? He's wor- He's able to face any world class fighter out there today. He's just got to study his opponent. He's got to learn what he's got to overcome and the game and do what he's got to do to win that fight and prepare himself mentally and physically. And he should be able to fight any fighter in the world today. I think Spence is a special fighter. He is going to get he better. Is. He's going to learn. But, uh, yeah. you know, you can't be – you're not developing him. We also would have – Andre Ward – I mean, uh, Andre Berto was, was a champ like that. But anyway, he says, I'd like to see Groves uh, versus uh, Gilberto Ramirez, uh, James DeGalle, Chris Eubank Jr., or maybe uh, Callum Smith next. I'd prefer to see Gilberto Ramirez. Um, I think uh, any one of those fights would be good for uh, good Groves. He is a, a champion. And uh, most of his fights will be in England, so I agree there. He says, Billy, what's your thoughts on uh, Armando Pena and Ryan Ford? Well, Armando Pena, uh, he's a 26-year-old cruiserweight. Uh, he's 14-0 with 10 knockouts. He's ranked at number 127 in the world by the computer. What do I think of him? Well, I'll just say this. He's got 14 wins. Only two of those 14 wins the fighters had winning records. One of those winning records was a 1-0 and fighter, which he fought in his third fight. Uh, and the other was 25-16, and uh, in which he fought in his ninth, ninth fight. Uh, this is a guy that, uh, uh, you know, has not fought anybody really to even suggest he's, he's going to be something. The other thing I notice is that he seems to go back and forth between the light heavyweight division and the minimal side of the cruiserweight division, although the lightest he's ever weighed for a fight was 172 and a half, and the heaviest was 201, which actually is a heavyweight. So, I, you know, truthfully, I, I think he needs to, you know, if he's going to stay at cruiserweight, he needs to come in the ring in the 190s. A cruiserweight has to come in at the 190s. He is young enough, but he definitely needs to start stepping it up. As far as Ryan Ford goes, He's a light heavyweight, 35 years old, 12 and 0 with seven knockouts. He's ranked number 42. Um, he has been in there with some pretty decent opponents, uh, especially his last three, uh, winning uh, all three, uh, two by stoppage and one by a technical decision. Personally, uh, no disrespect to him. He he's in good shape. He seems uh, uh, dedicated. But the thing about him that I think is that this is a guy, especially at his age, that they're building up. And uh, they're trying to get him what I would call uh, a, a payout fight. Um, maybe they position him where he falls right under 
uh, a ranking where he's eligible to be a shot at a world title or something like that, and a champion picks him uh, to fulfill uh, their requirements to keep their title. He'll have an impressive-looking record. He'll look good in the ring physically, and he'll be a tough out, but it will be just that. He'll get out, and that'll be the end. That's what I think about him. Uh, But uh, how about this, Sal? Go ahead. How about we jump uh, a little bit uh, out of the realm here for a second. Um, In uh, the sports world, all right, uh, ESPN just put out their top 100 recognizable, worldwide recognizable sports figures, all right? And the number one guy, Sal Rocky Senecola. I couldn't believe I it when say, I said I thought I'd make that list. Finally. No, <laughs> no. Unfortunately, my man, you were not number one. But I got to admit, I Do never I even heard. One? No, you're not. Um, I, you, you didn't. You didn't make the list. But anyway, I, you know, I, I mean, uh, truthfully, uh, the number one guy. I, I got to be honest, and I hope uh, you guys don't laugh at me I'm too much. But I never heard of the guy. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. He's a soccer star. Did you ever hear of him? Yes, yes. Oh, yes. for real? He's a great soccer star. Yeah. Well, I never heard. Well, of I him. got my I got my young son. He he plays soccer. So you know, I, I I'm uh, I'm looking at all the soccer players that he follows, and yeah, he's he's a great soccer player. Ronaldo's one of them. Well, uh, he's number one. Um, number two, LeBron James. You know. Uh, he's a soccer star. <laughs> no, he he plays hockey, doesn't he? No, but uh, I don't know. LeBron James is going to be in action tomorrow night, boys and girls. Uh, so we'll go. see. We'll see if they can do a repeat uh, of the uh, NBA uh, championship. But uh, yeah, he's number one. LeBron James number two. Uh, Tiger Woods, uh, the uh, the uh, oh, wait, wait, the guy wait, with a record. Now he's he's in the top ten. He's number ten. And just to yeah. give you some other names, uh, number eleven, Steph Curry. Uh, number 19, Serena Williams. Uh, number 21, Tom Brady. And Eli Manning. Uh, this this shocked the hell out of me, wait, Sal. Wait, wait, wait. Eli wait. Manning of the New York Giants. A, a guy that you could argue doesn't have much of a personality, right? He's number 60 of the most recognizable people in, in the world. Not just the United States. Well, We're talking about in the world. You know, well, that's uh, the which key word you're saying, recognizable. And you know when you come out of a sports franchise out of the New York tri-state area, you're you're pretty much pasted on the news media uh, pages and everything else, and you're highlighted. And a lot a lot a lot has to be said for that, because oh. uh, the spotlights are on you. So he is a recognizable figure. Well, if he walks into Sal's neighborhood pizzeria and say, "Hey, how you doing?" Well, the I'll thing recognize. is, the thing is, you know how people He'll look at my Phil Sims jersey hanging up. On my, you know, you know, you know how people, wall. you know how people wouldn't recognize uh, Eli Manning. If he took his helmet off. No, if he smiled, <laughs> if he smiled, because nobody's ever seen him smile. You know, he wasn't even smiling when his brother won the Super Bowl. But uh, anyway, so so the big question is, uh, are there any uh, boxers on this list? Well, uh, there's a couple of MMA people. Ronda Rousey's number 16. Conor McGregor falls in at number five out of the top 100. And Manny Pacquiao comes in at number 59. Actually, one spot. uh, This shocked me. I mean, more people know who Manny Pacquiao is, I thought. But he comes in one slot uh, above Eli Manning at number 59. But the best part of this, in my opinion, the best part of this ESPN top 100 worldwide most recognizable sports figures. 
And this is only recognized. has nothing to do with anything yeah. else. No achievements, no nothing. Floyd Fayweather. I mean, Floyd Mayweather is not on the list. I found that. I mean, as much as I, I am not a fan no, of Floyd. Really? I found that. Uh, I, I kind of find, found that strange. I mean, whether you like yeah. him or not, everybody knows who he is. I thought. He's not even on the top 100. What do you think of that? Well, you know, I, I don't know. You, you're talking about worldwide recognition versus, you know, just boxing fans and boxing world. And maybe uh, maybe he's not been on the world stage for every fan for him to, uh, of late, you know, because we haven't really seen him on the world stage since uh, Pacquiao. Well, or you know, but, but I tell you, with all the people that I talk to on a regular basis, uh, Floyd Mayweather's name always gets brought up. I mean, he's a, he's a guy yeah. that... Uh, even people that aren't into boxing anymore know who Floyd Mayweather is. So I was shocked that he didn't fall in at yeah. number 100. I, I really am. I mean, uh, all kidding aside, I mean, everybody knows. Anybody that's watched this show knows I'm not a fan of Floyd at all. But uh, but I am shocked that he's not on the uh, uh, most recognized uh, top 100. I mean, some of the names that were uh, on here. I mean, like number one, I you know, I mean, I'm not a big soccer fan, so I never even heard of him. But, uh, hey, we got the trivia question here, Sal. All right, and, uh, I can't wait. Um, okay, this I'm is, ready. Uh, Go ahead. Uh, I had um, uh, given the answer of one. So, so this is a, another one that we've uh, put out there, and I got a lot of really good answers, but none correct. So today we did our blast from the past, and Alex always does the uh, simulation with the title bout championship computer game. So I thought that a great prize would be your very own copy of the title bout championship computer game if you can answer this question correctly. And you have to email me, Billy at Talkin' Boxing. That's T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G dot com. And by the way, I'm giving one prize out, so you got to be the first one to email me correctly. Here's the question. Name the only retired heavyweight champions that beat every fighter they faced. Name the only retired heavyweight champions that beat every fighter they faced. If you're the first one to get this answer correctly by emailing me, Billy at Talkin Boxing, that's T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G dot com, you'll win your very own copy of Title Bout. But no, wait, there's more. Because if Sal Rocky Senecola can answer this question correctly right now, we will move on to it. He's not winning no prizes. But we can move on uh, to another, uh, another question. So, Sal, I ask you, can you save the listeners? The question is, Name the only retired heavyweight champions that beat every fighter they faced. Sal, do you have an answer? Yeah. What is it? Jack Dempsey? <laughs> no. Jack Dempsey. Jack Dempsey is not correct, Sal. As a matter of fact, uh, he did not beat Gene Tunney. And, uh, no, he, but that was fact, so, so he's not. Well, he's, yeah. nah, that's not. So the question is still live. Sal failed, uh, you guys. Uh, here's the question. Name the only retired heavyweight champions... That beat every fighter they faced. If you're the first one to email me, Billy at Talkin Boxing, that's T A L K I N B O X I N G dot com, you will win the prize. Hey, it's that time again. Uh, listen, don't forget to tune in tomorrow uh, because uh, we got a, a busy show. Uh, Sal and I will start breaking down the Adonis Stevenson and Andres von Farah fight. Um, and uh, we may even try to open up the phone lines on Friday. So uh, make sure you tune in. Uh, you know, uh, for the rest of the week. So uh, I'll leave you with this. Make sure you tune in tomorrow morning. Same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, 
Ciao, baby.